Hey guys, in this podcast I talk about London, London, England, capital of the new world. Give you guys the lowdown on transportation, hot spots to eat, everything you need to know about London, mate. Dive in. This is my Europe tour of cities, my tour of cities on Thursdays. Guys, I hope you enjoy my feature on London. Living in London, FAQ. <clears throat> it's next to impossible to try to what living to capture what living in a city of 8.6 million people is like. Some people love London, some people hate it. I'd say the majority of people dislike some aspects of London, but when push comes to shove, they wouldn't really want to live anywhere else. What's the cheapest way to move my stuff to London? There's international moving companies. How can I meet people slash make friends? There are over 8 million people in London, so making friends should be easy, right? Well, yes and no. Londoners tend to be fairly reserved during working hours, but after work, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of potential events to choose from where you can meet people. Here are just a few ways. Friends from back home slash university. If you study at a university in the UK, chances are that you'll know at least one person who now lives in London. The advantage of this approach is that you already know someone, but the downside is you may wish to move on and meet new people. Work. If you're working in London, you may luck out and actually work with people you'd like to go for a pint with after work. On the plus side, it's usually relatively easy to organize something as everyone will just go out right after work. On the downside, you'll likely end up talking about work, not necessarily a bad thing, and or end up saying something inappropriate around people you have to see again on Monday. Pubs. English pubs are one of my favorite things about London. You can meet all sorts of people in them, and despite their alarming rate of decline, most parts of London usually have at least one good one. The advantage is that pubs are everywhere, and you can meet a more diverse crowd than you might otherwise. The disadvantage is that drinking isn't for everyone, and some pubs with an established customer base may not initially seem welcoming to newcomers. Meetup.com, basically a website that holds meetup events on every conceivable topic you could imagine, from bitcoins to writing workshops, pubs, and pretty much anything else you can imagine. On the plus side, you can meet people who have the same interest on you. On the downside, meetups can be a very mixed bag. Some aren't great and long established groups may be a bit clicky. But if the group is based around a shared interest, you should be able to find people you get along with. Other meetups. Besides meetup.com, you may also want to check to see if any of the websites you use regularly have meetup events. For example, I've met many friends from both Reddit and Londonist events such as their pub crawls. Dating. Unfortunately, I can't help hear much as I've been very happily married for five years. That said, I have many single friends and finding dates doesn't seem to be all that difficult in London. I know people that use Tinder, OkCupid, and attend singles events. Check timeout. Are there any good restaurants? Well, there are currently 64 Michelin-starred restaurants in London. London is a cosmopolitan city where you can find food from every cuisine and from every country on Earth. Now, if you're French, you might complain that you can't find bread as good as in France, or if you're from California, you may think that the Mexican food here is subpar, or if you're Canadian like me, you complain about not being able to find decent poutine. It would be crazy to say that London has the best food in the world, but the dining scene in London is continually improving, so who knows? In a few years' time, maybe we'll have better poutine.
Are groceries expensive? Overall, groceries in London are more expensive than in the U.S., and from what I can tell, they're roughly on par with what they cost in Canada and Australia. That said, some items will be cheaper and some more expensive than what you're used to. For example, coming from Canada, I find cheese incredibly cheap here. However, if you do come from France, you'll likely find it expensive. There are a number of large grocery chains here that has several different price points. At the lower end of the scale, you have Asta, Lidli, Aldi, and Iceland. Mid-price stores include Tesco, Sainsbury's, and Morrison's. And at the high end, you have Waitrose, M&S, and Ocado. Many of these chains also offer similar local versions of their main stores with names like Tesco Express or Sainsbury Local. These stores are great because they sell the same products for the same price you pay at full size stores. Finally, it's also much more common in London to order groceries online and have them delivered to your flat or house. Depending on the store, you may be able to get them delivered for free for large orders, but even for smaller peak time deliveries, the fee is generally below five pounds. Where are the best places to go drinking? This could be a blog post on its own, and the simple answer is that there are tons of great places to drink. In fact, there are far too many for me to list here. You can check out a few I recommend in my London guide or visit Beer in the Evening, London's ever-growing pub guide. What's the weather like? The weather in London is usually considered to be better than the rest of the UK. We typically have mild winters, temperatures rarely drop below freezing, and temperate summers, temperatures rarely grow, go above 25 Celsius. However, it does rain quite a bit, especially in winter, so be prepared to buy a compact umbrella and or a good rain jacket to protect you from the drizzle. London is much further north than you'd expect given its mild weather. This means that in summer you'll get over 16 hours of sunlight, but at winter it means less than 8 hours of sunlight, which can be quite miserable. Finally, one thing that you'll notice is that the British love to talk about complain the weather. Besides the rain, I find the weather in London far more pleasant than Canada, where we routinely have days where it's negative 25 degrees Celsius in the winter and a sweltering 30 degrees Celsius in summer. So if you come from a place with much more extreme weather, just nod politely and sound sympathetic. What should I bring? The short answer is less than you should. The main thing is to bring your clothing. While there are plenty of cheap places to buy clothes in London, you might not be able to get the same size or style as you do in North America. Clothing can also be more expensive than in North America, even if you discount the VAT. Besides that, bring only what you think you'll need and nothing more. Do not bring the following. Your car. They drive on the left in the UK and it's expensive to run and ship. Overall, it's a terrible idea. Don't bring furniture. Most places come partially or fully furnished, which saves you having to buy or bring your own. Don't bring electrical appliances. Again, your flat may already have them, and if not, the UK runs on 230 volts, whereas the US and Canada run on 120 volts. This means that plugging in your appliances will likely cause them to short circuit or explode. Australia has the same voltage as the UK, but uses different plugs. A note on electronics, such as laptops, cell phones, Kindles, etc. The vast majority of electronics will work in the UK, but you'll need a plug adapter. Before plugging it in, check that your device's power supply can handle 230 volts. If you're unsure, go to an electronics retailer and ask them to check for you. 
Should I buy a car in London? Honestly, unless you're planning to work outside of London, I'd say no. Cars are expensive, petrol is expensive, and the congestion change charge is expensive. The hassle generally isn't worth it. That said, if you do own a car, you'll be really popular with your friends. You could also consider using Zipcar or just use Uber. How fast is the internet? Internet speeds aren't quite as fast as in South Korea, but there has been a move towards fiber in the last three years. Overall, speeds are faster and prices are lower than in North America. While I currently use Sky Digital, I think most of the companies offer fairly similar speeds. To get the best deal, I check out the following companies and go with whoever has the best promo offer at the time. BT Broadband. They are the national phone company. Talk Talk Phone and Broadband and Plusnet. How expensive are mobile cell phones? Prices vary widely by carrier, but once again, plans are usually much cheaper than they are in North America. I personally use Gift Gas. Warning: You need an unlocked phone to use them, and pay 10 pounds per month for 500 minutes, unlimited text, and one gigabyte of data on 4G with no contract. Giftgaff and several other companies also offer contract-free pay-as-you-go options that may also be worth considering while you compare plans. If you want a plan that comes with a free phone, expect to pay £40 a month for a contract. For special offers, visit buymobiles.net. For other options, you may want to consider the People's Operator Talk Talk Mobile E2 Save. As for the phones themselves, they are more expensive than the U.S. Partly due to the VAT and partly because electronics are just more expensive in the U.K. Where can I find out about local services? London is divided into 32 boroughs and the city of London. Just do a search for your borough's name, and their website will give you all the details you need about local services from rubbish collection to schools. How do I pay my utility? If you move into a flat share, utilities will already be set up, and you'll just have to pay your share. If you're moving into a new house flat, you can often just continue using the previous provider. Most people pay via direct deposit. However, you may come across a situation where you prepay for either gas and/or electricity using a card or key. This seems really bizarre, but basically, you take the card or key to a pay point location. Usually located inside a slightly inconvenient convenience store, and then give them cash to top it up. Is London a safe city? In a city of eight million people, crime does happen. London is much safer than New York. There were 82 homicides last year in London, compared to 333 in New York City, but probably not quite as safe as Tokyo. Assaults, often alcohol-related, and property. Related crimes are certainly not unknown, but thankfully they're quite rare for most people. You can find out more about the types of crimes in each area of London using the Met Crimes map. What is healthcare like in the UK? If you're from the US, you may be shocked to find that UK has free universal healthcare provided by the National Health Service. If you're from anywhere else, free universal healthcare will come as little to no surprise. <laughs> Overall, the NHS provides a relatively high level of service when you need something done. However, from my experience, the UK is not as big on preventative care as Canada. Nevertheless, a recent survey shows that British citizens value the national healthcare service above all other institutions in the UK, ahead of the monarchy or the military. Three things to know are: you should register at a local GP 
surgery or practice as soon as you move so that you can be covered by the NHS right away. You can learn more here. If it's an emergency, you can visit an A&E department without charge. If you have a minor injury or would like to see a doctor that day, you can also have access to NHS walk-in center. While some dental treatments are covered by the NHS, not all are. According to their website, you're entitled to have all clinically necessary treatments on the National Healthcare Service. Finally, if you'd still rather pay for your own treatment, private GPs and hospitals exist along the NHS. Some workplaces offer private medical insurance as part of their compensation package. This is not the norm for most mid or low salary jobs. Is there anything I should not do? Avoid the following and you'll fit right in. Don't stand on the left on escalators. Don't try to get on the train until everyone has gotten off. Don't go to Oxford Street. Don't use giant golf umbrellas. Don't call someone from Scotland, Wales, or Ireland, Northern Ireland, English. The Scots, Welsh, and English are all British. The Irish from the Republic of Ireland are Irish, and Northern Ireland has very complicated issues with national identity. This sums, that sums it up, guys, for uh, London. Um, I feel like I'm barely scratching the surface. I'm gonna, we're going to go to Quora.com. This person, Angela Rutledge, lives in London. This is from 2012. Uh, I moved to London from New York City nearly 10 years ago. Here are some things that surprised me. It took more than one day to open a bank account, and I had to have a ridiculous amount of ID to do so. It's a bit better now, but check out Metro Bank if you want an easy life. British people don't keep their eggs in the refrigerator. When you move to the UK, you get a whole new credit rating. Shops close really early on Sundays. Need milk after 7 p.m.? Forget it. There is a difference between night buses and regular buses. Aside from the amount of drunken passengers at night, I'm not sure what the difference is. British people judge you by your accent. It's not so bad having an American accent. There are few good cocktail bars in London. The amount you pay to rent a place will be two to three times more than you would pay on a mortgage for the same place. Dental health isn't prioritized as much as it is in the USA. If you have a near-perfect set of teeth, they will be referred to as American teeth. If you need to transmit large sums of money, a bank transfer from your U.S. bank to your U.K. bank account may be the easiest but not cheapest way. Citibank offers a U.S. currency bank account in the U.K., which may help if you want to regularly transfer money. If you have more than the equivalent of $10,000 in your bank account, which isn't hard given the strength of the pound, you'll have to notify the IRS. Bread, milk, butter, broadband, and cell phone service cost less in London than New York City. Enjoy it. It's about the only things that are cheaper. You get a ridiculous amount of vacation time over here. It's viewed as déclassé to read a red-top newspaper. You can hold a perfectly adequate conversation with a stranger, but not on the tube, as long as you stick with these topics. The weather the lateness of the trains, the soccer game. 
I have not yet met a Briton who has something positive to say about George W. Bush. <laughs> British people take queuing, waiting in line, seriously. On the dating scene, your American accent will give you bonus points. There isn't much gun crime here, but the amount of petty theft and knife crime is unbelievable. Healthcare is free. If you live in central London, it isn't practical or cheap to own a car. If you work in an office, Thursday is the night you go out. You can't get Crest toothpaste, so bring some over. <laughs> oh, man. So, this is my guide to living in London. Uh, hop over to the timeout magazine. A hundred and one things to do in London. Discover the city with our list of the best things to go see and do in London. See a world-class exhibition at the V&A in Brompton, a cathedral to culture. Eat your way around Borough Market in South Bank. The mega market in London Bridge has a history that goes back to the 13th century. People watch and party in Soho. West End neighborhood with a somewhat sleazy history that now teems with a bustling mix of partygoers, Buddhist, tourists, theater buffs. Soak up those city vibes, Soho. See free free art at Tate Modern in South Bank, a riverside icon on London South Bank dedicated to modern and contemporary art. The younger, hipper siblings of Milko's Tate Britain. Be inspired and challenged. Tate Modern is based in what was Bankside Power Station. Step inside and you can discover works by the likes of Warhol, Dali, and Hawking. Roast. As the hordes of borough marketeers stuff their faces while standing up above them in the elegant mezzanine floor hall in South Bank. Hide out at the Hive in Kew Gardens. What is it? An impressive light and sound installation at the huge Kew Garden, which is triggered by the activities of bees in a nearby hive. Kew Gardens is 300 acres of beautiful green space filled with stunning vistas, rare plants, Victorian glasshouses, a Chinese pagoda, a treetop walkway, and of course the hive. The newly restored temperate house is also a horticulturist delight, a grade one listed greenhouse twice the size of Kew's famous palm house. Be a groundling at Shakespeare's Globe in South Bank, a reconstruction of William Shakespeare's Circular Theater, which was destroyed by fire. The closest you'll ever get to experience the Bard's Place as Elizabethan audience did. Spend a Sunday at Columbia Road Flower Market, one of oldest, London's oldest and most beloved flower markets. A weekend institution in East London, Sunday Flower Market lines Columbia Road, hipster paradise, one of the best places in the city to buy flowers bedding plants, cacti, and even a banana tree if you've got the patio space at home and the upper body strength to carry it there. The market goes on until 3 p.m. in all weathers. The best buys you need to get there for 8 a.m. Browse cool brands on Carnaby Street, Soho. What is it? A buzzy shopping mecca tucked away behind Oxford and Regent Streets and full of independent brands, quirky flagship stores, and some of the city's best places to eat and drink. 
This pedestrianized street is one of London's best shopping destinations. Creative Carnaby's is known for being at the heart of the swinging 60s in London when the likes of Jimi Hendrix, Beatles, Rolling Stones, Elizabeth Taylor were all visitors. Get cultured at the South Bank Center. South Bank, what is it? A riverside titan of arts and entertainment, the South Bank Center comprised of Buddha's icon Royal Festival Hall. Sleep over at the National History Museum. But you gotta you gotta know that um, arts and culture is important. Um, so, who are the best rappers in London, according to Complex? The 20 British rappers to listen to. <clears throat> Octavian. Octavian is a special talent. Party Here, released in December, wasn't his first song, but it's an immediate highlight. A rap song with a style that's hard to pin down. SL. SL is from Croydon, a grey suburban town just outside London, and he's part of the buzzing UK drill scene. At only 16 years old, he's also one of the UK's most exciting and intriguing talents. He released the hypnotic, violent gentleman in 2017. And at the time of this writing, the video has nearly 20 million views on YouTube. SL is a unique case, not only because of his laid-back style of rapping compared to more high-energy contemporaries. IMDDB. Whether she's singing soulfully over jazzy beats or turning up boomerang 808s, IMDDB shapes every song to fit her own unique style. Urban jazz. Tracks like More from Hood Rich see her inhabiting the world of contemporary R&B. Slow Tie. Coming from the city of Northampton rather than London or even rap hotspots like Manchester and Birmingham, Slow Tie is doing things his own way. Sonically, his music blends grime, rap, and trap. There's a raw spirit that runs through it, a punk energy that makes it hard to look away. Now, if you like skating, where are the best places to to skate in London? Well, there's a ton of ice skating. Uh, I mean, you can just go down to central London. Timeout.com, seven skateboarders explain why the London scene is better than ever. Skating's having a massive cultural impact in London right now. Marion Eloy's kick pushes her way to meet seven skaters from across the scene. Wherever you find yourself in London this weekend, you'll see skateboarders. Skating is such a part of the city right now that you'd be forgiven for thinking you've gone back to the 90s. But it's not just male teen slackers hitting their boards today. In 2018, the scene is booming across all social backgrounds, ages, and genders. Just a few years ago, the iconic South Bank Undercross was at risk of closure. Now campaigns like Long Live South Bank are preserving skating as part of our culture. Skate parks are popping up across the city from Crystal Palace to Depturk, Charlton to Ashton, and places such as House of Dance are championing the skating scene. So why the boom for one events like Girls Night at House of Dance and Old Man Night at Bay 66 are opening the sport up to people who might have thought it wasn't for them, while lone skaters are connecting via WhatsApp and Instagram. 
Londoners don't face the same pressure to behave like grown-ups these days. 30-somethings and older are skating, and while parents might have once thought of skateboarding as practically a gateway drug, they're now getting their kids to have lessons. It's a bona fide sport in the 2020 Tokyo Olympics, after all. Most of all, as our living costs and stress levels soar, skating is a cheap and sociable way to get outside. We spoke to skaters from across the spectrum, amateurs, instructors, teams, and pros, all of whom share a love for celebrating and expanding the scene. Here's a snapshot of London's skate community. Shay Zhi, university student, skate instructor, and YouTube video maker. When I was growing up in London, I used to go to my local skate shop and buy skate videos on DVD. I remember getting Horizon by Landscape Skateboards, which was shot at parks across the city. Now there's lots of YouTube channels, but most of them are American. I've been making skate videos for a few years. My recent ones are filmed in Charlton Skate Park, but we go everywhere. I do it to showcase everyone's talent. I get people coming up to me asking, when's the next video coming out? There's rivalry between different skate groups in London. Because there are so many skate parks being built here, most of us stick to our local. When we go to other parks, everyone is in their own group. You make cool friends. My favorite memory is going to a premiere of a film by South Londonish skatewear company Yardsdale. It was held in the cinema and there were like 300 skaters there for it. The atmosphere was amazing, everyone getting hyped over every single trick. Stephanie, pro skater and owner of Salon Skateboards. I got into skateboarding after surfing when I was a kid. One season, a hotel I was working at in Cornwall hosted a mini ramp jam for fans. The people involved in it were so much fun and I really wanted to be involved too. Now I'm sponsored by Vans for skateboarding and I collaborate with other brands on social media content or Insta. Also, I have a skate brand of my own called Salon. It sells customized grip tape tees and boards. They're stocked in a shop called Brixton Thaddis. It's a really community-focused shop and a great place to feel part of the scene. I think the London skate scene is a reflection of London itself. It's gritty and fast-paced with lots of events and so many different people. However, there's a sense of community and skateboarding wherever you go. I help out with the girls' night at the House of Vans, and that session used to be really quiet when I started coming to London. The last time I was there, there were 300 people, and it was one in, one out. It was really great to see how skateboarding has become something that women feel they can be a part of, and I am really happy to be involved in that. Zainab, Year 8 student. My mom bought me roller skates when I was six, but I got bored with them, so I started riding my brother's Ben 10 skateboard. I broke it because it had plastic wheels. I got into skating from there. My favorite places to skate are probably here at Cantaloupe Concrete Bowl in Victoria Park. They have a massive skate park there and the bowl is really deep. Once I've learned a trick, it's not really that scary anymore. The hardest one to learn in the bowl was probably a backside 360 nose grab. You meet loads of people in skate parks if you're doing the same trick. For my birthday, a group of us went from here to Skate Park Bay 66 in Lambroke Grove. On the way, we stopped at three different skate parks. We went in the morning and didn't come back until the night. My top tip for someone who's starting to skate is to get a decent board. If you get a bad one, you get more frustrated because you can't do as many things with it. Then you start thinking you're not very good at it, but it could be the board. Hey guys, welcome to the show at KingLit93 on Twitter. Y'all, we're going to talk about London today. This is the city's episode. This is Thursday. So I'm going to talk about the city of London. 
London, England. 20 tips. So this is my, this is my, um, here, let me just give you a little breakdown first of the day, what's been going. I just got off my Zoom call for Herbalife. Uh, bike today. It was pretty chill. Um, so I want to give you an overview of London, the city. This is the city's episode every Thursday. I'm going to feature a city and give you a breakdown, whether you're a local, whether you want to visit the city. And this is London, England. Um, I, I guys, just before I start, I just want to say if you are wanting to lose weight, if you want to start your own business, uh, go to staystrongking.goherbalife.com. Uh, there'll be a link in the description of the podcast. And definitely, if you're ready to get healthy, we have some amazing products. And I'm a distributor, and we can get you started if you want to make money from home. We have a business opportunity for you as well. So shoot me a quick email, and I'll get back to you within the week. And... Um, Let's get it. Let's get it. London is a perfect city to start pursuing acting. All right. Before we jump into into the main topic of today's episode, I just want to give you guys a little breakdown of life, little what's on my mind. Of I'm kind of tired. Oh, what is this? this is, oh God! I'm excited, y'all. I'm really excited. I think I'm moving to New York soon. We'll see you. Yeah can't disclose too many details but uh yeah it's lit as fuck <laughs> um did i go to i did not go to starbucks today i went yesterday y'all the blog check out the link in the description that's davidacl.wordpress.com davidacl.wordpress.com the blog is pretty hype pretty hype we're getting 500 views per day so what to do when you're in london 20 tips on living in London. I'm going to go over uh, the best bars to visit, uh, the general vibe of the area. You're going to need your Oyster card if you want to travel. So, I personally have never been to London, but it is the first city that I thought of um, when I decided to do today, this week's episode for the first city that I wanted to feature I guess I've heard so many things about London it's like it's like that one place that's kind of like iconic in the world besides like New York and the U.S. like I know people in London have this like like cinematic view of the U.S. which is probably true but in a way I think I personally and a lot of people have that same view about London so, 20 tips on living in London from actinginlondon.co.uk. London is a perfect city to start pursuing acting. There are many benefits that come with living in London, but if you're actually planning to stay here, I highly recommend reading some of these tips from current Londoners. And y'all, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Like, I fucking love you, man. You are my oxygen. Just moving to London itself can be a little stressful if not done right. The same can be said about living in London, traveling, and finding entertainment here. 
so again, London is in Europe. It is a huge city. London continues to experience increase in population. There's always more things to do and reasons to move here. A lot of actors are moving to London to apply to some of the best acting agencies that may skyrocket their level of fame. Because it's also easy to find world's top-notch acting training in London's best drama schools that are abundant. To many foreigners, Londoners may seem to carry a reputation for being unfriendly and rude. However, they're actually happy to help a stranger in need when lost in town. Yeah, yeah. This is this is a young uh, Atlanta, Georgia man's perspective on London, England. <clears throat> We are also a whole city of strangers ourselves, many of us having moved to London from elsewhere in the country. 20 tips on living in London. There are many great things for actors and non-actors to do in London. Some of the best dancing classes, summer drama courses, yoga classes, true London culture. So when you're traveling in London, London, England, the Brits, London, stand on the right. When traveling in London, it's not acceptable to stand anywhere else on an escalator than the right. Always, without exception, even if you're with friends, drunk or dying, you must stand on the right side. There's a reason this is listed first. Mm. Oh God. Sorry guys, it's midnight and it's been a busy day. Nothing irks a Londoner more than someone blocking the path by standing on the wrong side. And this is the most common way we distinguish between a foreigner and a local. Go contactless. Depending on where you're from, if you're going to be living in London, either register your contactless bank card with Transport for London or get an Oyster card. This will make your traveling around London so much swifter. Oyster and contactless payment, which apparently, and my big surprise, doesn't even exist in the USA, will automatically calculate the cheapest fare so it's never been simpler to travel around London. Ugh. Take note that London buses don't even accept cash anymore. It's all high tech. Tip number three, don't talk to strangers unless there are some unwritten rules about talking to people while traveling. The general rule is don't do it unless you want to freak someone out and convince them you belong in an episode of American Horror Story Asylum. However, there are some key exceptions. For example, when the weather is doing something freaky, you can comment on this and you will likely receive a response with some solidarity. If the transport system is having a fail, you can comment on this and will most definitely get a response. If you're ever lost in London and you need directions, know that most Londoners love giving directions. Although majority of us haven't got a clue what we're talking about, so make sure you download apps like Streetwalk or Google Maps to be on the safe side. Do not dilly-dally, especially with big stuff. When traveling in London during peak hours, try to keep up with the pace especially in the morning. After asking around, it seems the only thing that drives a Londoner more insane are people who dilly-dally, carrying massive backpacks who aren't in a hurry to get somewhere. The same goes for your Oyster or contactless card. Be speedy and keep it in hand so it's ready when you need it. Walk where possible. Don't just skip the tube everywhere. 
Some stations are so close it isn't worth the money or the hassle. It's actually quicker to walk from Leicester Square to Sharing Cross than it is to get any kind of public transport. Not only will you get to know most of the major London streets, but you'll also save money. The tube is quite expensive here in London. Using the bus is the cheapest option, but often the roads are so clogged, it's quicker to walk. Tuesday morning is a big deal. That's when Time Out magazine hits our fingertips full to the bursting with the latest listing from culture events in London to the venues du jour. Some of these may include things like street food markets, West End shows, best London events to see, and other entertainment options. As a new Londoner, Time Out is your weekly Bible and cannot be missed. Go green on sunny days. Similar to lifestyle in New York, many Londoners live in tiny apartments with little to no outside space, so it's not surprising that on every glimpse of sunshine, you'll find us hanging out on one of the many beautiful parks eating fish and chips. Personally, I love Greenwich Park these days and grabbing breakfast at Chapters in Blackheath. We always sit outside under the heat lamps and watch the world go by while pondering on our artistic endeavors and future acting career plans. But how can you find a roommate? Go to spareroom.co.uk. Spareroom.co.uk is a great place to find flatmates and rooms to rent in London. I've used it three times and never had a bad experience yet. House sharing is not only a great way to meet like-minded actors or just new people in London, but it also cuts down on bills, especially if it literally is someone just renting out their spare room for a bit of extra cash. Go digital on grey days. British TV drama has never been better, in my opinion. Take advantage of streaming and get to the BBC, ITV, and Channel 4 to catch up with some of the latest and greatest new drama. If you need recommendations, I'd say River has become my ultimate favourite this year. Dark, gritty, and very, very British. Check it out for the ultimate British experience. How do you meet friends? Join Meetup. Meetup Meetup.com Nearly everyone I've met who moves to London from elsewhere is on meetup.com and in at least one group. I'm in an actors and writers group because those are my things. However, there's plenty of other hobby and professional based groups to get involved with for those living in London and it's a great way to meet new people and start making friends in London. Entertainment. Get yourself down the pub. This is a guaranteed way to meet people. I've met some of my closest friends in London down the pub. When you're living in London, you get to know your local and you could be surprised who you might meet. It's perfectly acceptable to go for a drink alone in London. Take the paper, crossword, a book, your tablet, whatever you fancy, and pull up a stool at a bar. With karaoke nights, quiz nights, and live music events, the pub will always be the place to do Sign up to Emerald Street. This is probably one of London's best-kept secrets, and now I'm sharing it with you. A step up from timeout, Emerald Street offers reviews of everything you need to do and everywhere you need to go in London. If it's hot, it's in Emerald Street. Go to the theatre. Actors must watch plays, even though West End theatre tickets are insanely expensive. You really need to go to the theatre. Leicester Square has got to be the most cheesy, touristy, glitzy part of London like Times Square in New York City, but you start to go and soak it all in. Behind all the gaudiness and thousands of pigeons lies a rich history of London. 
saddler's wells. For any true artsy person, a trip to saddler's wells features behind the list. Culture. London loves every culture. There are districts all across London that attract pockets of other cultures, but you can find pretty much every country in the world dotted around the whole city in shops, cafes, restaurants, and bars. There's amazing bars in the city from timeout.com. Wonderful place to get a drink with a mate. London can be enjoyed with a climate that's pretty nice. And when you go down to the pub, the top 10 bars to visit, whether you're local or just visiting, you've got Lioness on South Bank. What's the vibe? The world's best bar, Dandy Lion makes way for a new concept from the same award-winning cocktail shifting team. What to drink? Try purple pineapple. Number two bar, Saga and Wild Hackney Road in Hoxton. What's the vibe? The wine bar you've been waiting for. This Hackney Road haven is a pit stop for professional people who may lack a professional appreciation of wine. All plonks here are served at a reasonable price by the bottle or glass. When to visit? In the winter months, small and dark is the perfect place to hunker down on a cold and wild evening. What to drink? Though beers are available, it really has to be wine. You won't regret any choice. Next bar, Mother Kelly in the Vox Hall. What's the vibe? A bottle shop, tap room, and beer heaven housed in a roomy arch in Valhall. Bar 3 in Spitalfield, the Andover Arms in Hammersmith and Swift in Soho, Trailer Happiness in Westbourne. Knowledge, history, and art, baby, it's free. Unlike the majority of other world's metropolitan cities of this size, London encouraged people to get educated while having fun. Many of London's museums and art galleries are completely free to enter. As a new Londoner on a budget, you can soak up knowledge, culture, and history without spending a penny. It's also perfect for those times in the month where purse strings are tight so you don't want to be housebound. Don't just stay in central London. When living in London, you must explore. You will be missing out on so much if you don't get out zones one and two. Public transport, when it's running on time, is a great vehicle to experience all difficult neighborhoods of London. Crystal Palace in southeast London is the new hotspot with quirky restaurants, bars, and cafes. Stoke Newington in North London has always been cool to anybody living in London, particularly its boutique and vintage clothes market. To the market. Of course, a trip to the gentrified borough market selling deliciously fine wares should be on your agenda, but it's not really reflective of everyday London culture. For this, you need to head down to your local market where you find a hustling, bustling place of toiletries, veggies, and tap. You can always find a bargain and a decent cup of tea in these places. If you want something with a little more finesse, farmers markets are more on par with borough markets, but because they're local, they are less expensive and a lot smaller. This means smaller vendors selling local produce. Love your library, it's also free. All London public libraries are free. 
That was from actinginlondon.co.uk. Another bar to visit in London is Authentic Exeter and, and Bar. Also, FAM in Marylebone. Guys, London is a beautiful, beautiful place. The buses are double-decker. Double-decker buses in London, if you didn't know that. Uh, London is the capital and largest city of both England and the UK. Standing on the River Thames in the southeast of England at the head of a 50-mile estuary leading to the North Sea, London has been a major settlement for two millennia. Londinium was founded by the Romans. The city of London, London's ancient core, an area of just 1.2 square miles and colloquially known as the Square Mile, retains boundaries that closely follow its medieval limits. London is considered to be one of the world's most important global cities and has been termed the world's most powerful, most desirable, most influential, most visited, most expensive, innovative, sustainable, most investment-friendly, most popular for work, and most vegetarian-friendly city in the world. London exerts a considerable impact upon the arts, commerce, education, entertainment, fashion, and finance. London ranks 26 out of 300 major cities for economic performance. London contains four World Heritage Sites, the Tower of London, Kew Gardens, Westminster Abbey and St. Margaret's Church. There are 32 boroughs. It is a monarchy. The size is 607 square miles. Elevation is 36 feet above sea level. Population is 9 million people. So, definitely, definitely a fun place to visit for um, any age. Um, you know, it could just be a lot of fun for a family, for a youngster. You want to be contactless with your bank card. You can get an Oyster card to go on the buses. So this is from randomlylondon.com. Interested in moving to London? First of all, great choice. London is one of the world's best cities and a truly unique place to live. There are a lot of important things you need to know before making your move. First, if you're not a UK or EU citizen, make sure you get your visa sorted before you leave. A tourist visa does not give you the right to live or work in the UK. If you think you need a visa, read on. There's lots of information about working abroad, but if you're coming to the UK to work and you don't have a UK or EU passport, you're most likely going to need a work visa. Students, on the other hand, only need a student visa. Our best place of advice for anything to do with immigration is to go straight to the source, the gov.uk website. We'll tell you in plain English what type of visa you'll need and the requirements that go along with it. 
while Americans, Canadians, Australians, New Zealanders, and nationals from certain other countries can usually enter the UK visa-free as tourists, this does not give you the right to work. If you're caught working without the correct visa, you'll likely be removed from the country and could be barred from re-entering the UK for up to 10 years. If you fail to get the correct paperwork, you're breaking the law and you should expect consequences if you're caught. Hey, hey. Life in London as a non-UK national. In recent years, the UK has made it more difficult for individuals from outside the EU to immigrate to the UK, and public attitudes towards immigration and immigrants in general have become increasingly negative. This can be seen in the growing popularity of the United Kingdom Independence Party and fringe groups such as the English Defence League and British National Party. Um, basically, if you come to London from abroad to work, expect to be asked about your home country a lot, to be teased occasionally about your vocabulary, pronunciation of certain words, to meet tons of amazing people, to have loads of amazing experiences, and to pay more for accommodation than you ever thought possible. This brings me to the next section, where to live in London. Once you're in London, one of the first things you'll need to decide is where to live. You can either try to rent a place before moving to London, or try to find a place once your feet are on the ground. If you can stand some uncertainty, it's probably better to pick a place once you're actually in London so you can get a feel for different areas. I would strongly advise against buying a place until you have a good feel for an area, as buying and selling property is both expensive and time-consuming, and it's worth getting right the first time. How to think about London as a city. The classic way to think about London is either north versus south or east versus west. Generally speaking, West and North London are seen as more desirable areas than East or South London. However, in my personal opinion, this way of thinking about London does little to capture the reality on the ground. There are plenty of places in the North or West that I would consider less desirable than places in the South and East. In reality, London is a collection of neighborhoods and villages stitched together by buses, trains, trams, and of course the underground. So instead of trying to give you one overarching way of thinking about London, here are some general rules of thumb. Prices to rent and to buy generally decline the further out of central London you go. Zone 1 is now almost exclusively the realm of the extremely wealthy unless you happen to live in a council flat, which you're unlikely to get even if you're coming from elsewhere in the UK, let alone another country. Properties in Zone 2 are rapidly increasing in price, although there are a wider range of locations and properties to choose from in this area. The closer a flat slash house is to a station, the more expensive it is. Underground stations command an additional premium over stations served only by the underground DLR and or National Rail. Tram stations are the least desirable, partly due to their location and partly because none of the tram lines runs in the central London. Crossrail is having a big impact on property prices. If you're looking to buy, be aware that prices for houses and flats near future crossrail stations have been increasing rapidly in many parts of London. Very expensive properties can be located across the street from incredibly depraved estates. This means making generalizations about areas can be very misleading. This is why it's also a good idea to check out an area before moving in. One street can make a huge difference. That said, the fewer 
council estates in the area, the higher the property prices tend to be. In central London, Victorian terraced homes are particularly popular, whereas in the suburbs you'll find more semi-detached inter-war homes. Detached homes are quite rare in London, and it's unlikely that someone earning a middle-class income could afford to rent or buy one. London's property market is changing very rapidly, with formerly unfashionable slash affordable areas becoming fashionable and affordable in as little as 12 months. This can make picking a place to live rather difficult. A few areas to consider. It's next to impossible to cover all the areas in London in any meaningful way. There are far too many different things to compare. However, if you're looking for a place to start, I've included a general description. Hmm. How much to spend on rent slash mortgage? Renting in London is expensive no matter where you're from in the world. You'll pay more and get less than in almost any other city on earth. Figuring how much you can afford can be tricky, especially if you're just starting out. While you're looking at rental ads, one thing to note is that prices are usually listed as per week, even though you'll only pay monthly. I suspect this is simply a ploy to stop people from fully realizing how much they're spending on rent. Also keep in mind that the amount you'll pay per month is not the price per week multiplied by four, because that would only cover 28 days in each month. Instead, landlords will charge you 4.3 times the per week rate to make up for the extra days. Although increasingly difficult to find, it's still possible to find rooms and shared accommodations starting from 500 pounds a month. For a one bedroom flat, it's pretty much impossible to find anything for much less than 1,000 pounds a month, even in less desirable parts of town. Thus, on, those on low incomes can easily spend up to half of their after-tax income on rent alone. Keep in mind, this does not include council tax or utility bills. All right, guys, we're breaking down the rental situation, living in Europe. Um, I, I hope this is valuable to you guys. Um, this is from randomlylondon.com. Again, this is my Thursday show, giving you all the info on London. Next week, maybe we'll do New York or Houston, maybe a city in Florida. Um, so this is a Thursday show on the David ATL Ranch Raiders podcast. So if you're in your 20s and single, which would be me, you're going to be renting with several other people in either a dingy flat share somewhere close to a somewhat desirable area or in a slightly less dingy place further away from anything desirable. In either case, it doesn't matter too much. Hmm. As you'll primarily be using it as a place to crash. Hmm. So it's more difficult to find a place to rent if you're not from the UK. So you can get an estate agent to help you find a place to rent. Go to easyroommate.co.uk, move flat, Reddit London Homes. If you're a student, check whether your university has residence halls.
fully furnished rental flats are very common. The British also haven't totally caught up on the benefits of large fridges. Fridges. It's partly a space issue and partly because many people in London eat out a lot. My wife and I had to get by with a bar fridge for the first two and a half years we lived here. How to find work in London. First, go on the fucking internet, but besides that, London's economy is booming these days, as is the cost of living. This means that it's important to find a job quickly once you move to London, or better yet, find one before moving here so you can hit the ground running. National insurance number. If you weren't born in the UK, you likely don't have a national insurance number. However, you'll need to get one before you start looking for work. Only those who are, have the right to work in the UK are eligible to apply for one. Actually finding a job. How you go about finding employment will very much depend on the type of job you're looking for. For service work at pubs, restaurants, cafes, shops, etc., your best bet is to visit businesses in your area. And if that doesn't work, then consider looking in more central parts of London. Just make sure you have a well-formatted resume. Another way to find relatively unskilled work is through gum tree. Finally, also have a look at temp agencies if you need to find work quickly. These may not always be the most glamorous jobs, but they can help you get some cash flow going. For more skilled work, you have a few options. First and foremost, I recommend looking at LinkedIn. I found that it flags up a lot of interesting jobs, and ones that are posted there seem to be among the highest paying. Recruiters. Another very common way to find work in London is via a recruiter. They get paid some obscene amount of money by your future employer for helping you find a job. In my experience, they are far more commonly used than in North America, and even roles with a limited amount of experience can be found via recruiter. I found my current and last job via a recruiter, and while I've dealt with some really bad ones, a good one can notify you about jobs you might not otherwise have been aware of. Recruiters often specialize in a particular industry, so it's best to Google one in your field. Word of mouth is another common way to find jobs in London, and there are dozens of networking sites, meetups, etc. that you can attend. Friends are, of course, the first people you should ask if you work in the same field. Company transfer. If you're coming from overseas, one of the easiest ways to find work in London is to be transferred by your existing employer. They will have to sponsor your work visa, which kills two birds with one stone. Vehicle taxes. If you drive a car, there are a whole host of taxes that go along with it. Petrol, aka gas alone, is at least 60% more expensive in the UK due to taxes. London also has a congestion charge, 10 pounds per day if you want to drive in the city center. How to set up a bank account. If you're moving from elsewhere in the UK, you can do all your banking in London just as you would at home. However, you'll probably want to change your address and branch as soon as possible to one closer to you. This will save you missing any important mail. If you're coming from overseas, you may have a fun time trying to open an account as the rules seem to change from day to day, depending on who you're dealing with. When my wife and I moved here, we opened an account with NatWest as they're everywhere and we thought it would be easy to do. While opening an individual bank account was theoretically possible, opening a joint bank account seemed to cause all sorts of issues. At the time, we were told it was a very uncommon thing to do, but I subsequently met several native Britons 
who have this exact type of account, so it can't be that rare. Eventually, after some persistence, the bank agreed we could open a joint bank account, except that the associate we were talking to couldn't do it as he didn't know how. When his supervisor came over to ask if he would like to see how to do it, he simply replied no. Fortunately, other employees were able to do it, but it wasn't quick. The two things you'll definitely need to open a bank account are your passport and proof of address. Ironically, many landlords won't rent you a flat if you don't have a UK bank account, so you enter a world of catch-22s. Now, it would be great if these two documents were enough to open an account, but it seems to me and several other expats I've talked to that may not be enough. If not, grab any other documents the bank asks you for and go back. It may take a few tries, but it's possible to set up a bank account with some persistence. If you're coming to the UK as a student, it might be worth inquiring with the admissions department to see if they can write a letter to help make opening an account easier. A few banks to choose from. Metro Bank. NatWest. HSBC. Barclays. RBS. And Lloyds Bank. A few other points about banking in the UK. Most bank accounts allow you to withdraw cash from another bank's ATM at no cost. It is very common to give your account details to other people so they can send money directly to your account. Checks are rarely used here. Rent is paid by direct deposit in almost all cases, along with other types of bills such as heating, electricity, internet. Your debit card can also be used to pay for things online, just like a credit card. Transferring money from overseas. Generally speaking, I've always transferred money to the UK from overseas using an international wire transfer. It works and the money goes straight into your account. That said, you may not get the best rates, especially on really large transfers. Money Saving Expert has a guide on options for transferring money both to and from the UK. Please be sure to seek with a financial and or tax advisor before transferring money to the UK as you may be liable to pay tax and or fall afoul of international money laundering laws. Transportation in London. Besides the weather, commuting is probably the most common gripe that Londoners have. If possible, I'd say it's best to live within walking distance of your work. However, for 90% of people, that is unlikely to be feasible. If you're brave, you might want to consider cycling as this is becoming increasingly popular. If your work is located outside London, you might want to consider a car. Both Zipcar and Zipvan might be options if you don't want to own your own. For everyone else, you'll probably have to rely on public transport. Try to live and work on the same line. Transportation in London. Rail services. I've already discussed three rail-like services, but just in case that wasn't enough, London also has actual railways too, both suburban rail that link central London to its suburbs and fast trains that link London to the rest of the country and the world. There are also direct rail links to London's three major airports, namely Heathrow, Gatwick, and Stansted. See more on getting to and from London airports here. In the majority of cases, trains in and out of London are separate from the transport for London system. So, for example, you can't use your Oyster card on most national rail services and would have to buy a separate fare. 
There are some exceptions with all suburban trains in zone one through nine, for example, and to select destinations covered. Trains to Gatwick, including the Gatwick Express, as well as trains to Heathrow, including TFL Rail and Heathrow Express, are also covered by the Oyster system. You can see more about what's covered here. Bus. If you ask someone what the most used form of public transport in London was, they might guess underground. And with over a billion users a year, that's not a bad guess. It would be wrong, though, because the number of journeys taken on London buses is over 2 billion a year. And they're double-decker. This is likely because there are just so many bus routes in London serving a huge area. You could basically get anywhere in London by bus. Bus fares are also cheaper at a fixed rate of £2 for a single journey for Oyster users regardless of distance. £1.5. You can also take advantage of the hopper fare with Oyster and contactless cards, whereby every bus journey that you take within the first hour of touching it is included in the £1.5 price. You can change buses and not have to pay any more, although you must still touch into the new bus in order to have a valid ticket. To use the public buses in London, all you have to do is touch your Oyster or contactless card on the big yellow card reader when you board the bus. There's no need to do it when you get off the bus as fares are fixed. There are also many bus services that operate around the clock, meaning you can still get home after a night out on public transport in many instances. Buses are generally a little slower than rail services because they have to contend with traffic, which in London is pretty terrible most of the time. However, an advantage is that normally there are no steps involved and no lengthy walks around the underground system. Tram. Tram. In South London and specifically from Wimbledon through to Croydon and Beckenham, there's a tram service known as London Tramlink. The tram has four lines and 17 miles of track, so it definitely isn't a huge network, but it's well used in the region. The tram works the same as the bus in terms of payment. It's a fixed fee per journey and you just have to touch in with your Oyster card or contactless card when you board to validate your ticket. You do not need to touch out when you disembark. Trams are also part of the hopper fare system. Emirates Airline. Now for something a little bit different, did you know that London has a cable car service? It is the only urban cable car in the UK and there to get you across the River Thames from Greenwich to the Royal Victoria Dock as well as a handy way to get to the Excel Exhibition Center and O2 Arena from the south side of the river. It also offers panoramic views of this part of the city as you cross. The airline is part of the TFL system, so you can pay with your Oyster card or contactless card. There are only two stations, one at each end, so it's also one of the easiest modes of transport to navigate in London. Riverboat. London has a big old river running through it, so it makes sense that this waterway is used as a public transport system. And so it is with Thames Clippers operating a service under license from TFL. There are four routes starting all the way to the west of the city in Putney and going as far as Woolwich in the east. Essentially, this gets you from one end of London to the other. It's a fun, scenic way to travel and tends to be a little less busy than many of the other routes. It is used by commuters, though, so rush hours can be a little busier. As with other TFL services, the easiest way to pay is by contactless card or Oyster card touching in and out as you board and disembark. Alternatively, you can buy tickets online and print them out, or you can buy tickets in person at the pier. The last option is most expensive. Contactless Oyster and online ticket purchases are the most cost-effective. Note that Thames Clipper is a little more expensive than services like the tube or buses, but the point-to-point -point service 
and relatively fast speed plus the views of London from the river can make it worth it. Taxis! London definitely has some iconic modes of transport from the famous red bus through to the tube, but perhaps most famous of all is the black cab. With a history dating back to 1662, London's hackneyed carriages have been carrying people around the city for over 350 years, with drivers having to learn the infamous knowledge, basically a detailed map of London, meaning they can navigate the city efficiently without relying on maps or technology. Taking a black cab in London is definitely an experience. All you have to do is flag one down by waving at them. The taxi light will be illuminated if it is available, and the driver will stop to pick you up. Black taxis are certainly more expensive than any of the other forms of transport regulated by TFL, but for the conveniences of getting from one part of the city to another, they sometimes can't be beaten, and if you're traveling in a group, they can work out to be fairly cost-effective. Note that taxis don't accept Oyster cards, so fares need to be paid by cash or credit card. Fares are paid on completion of the journey and are set based on distance and time using the meter on the cab. Bicycles. In 2010, London rolled out a new public transport option, the bicycle. There are public cycle points all around the city, and with the increase in cycle lanes, these are becoming a popular way to take short trips. Hiring a bicycle is relatively easy. It costs £2 for a day of access to the system, after which, they ri which every ride of 30 minutes or less is free, with each additional 30-minute segment costing £2. So you could actually ride the city for just two pounds, just ensuring you check in each bike within 30 minutes. To use the cycle hire system, you just need a credit or debit card. Because of the need to guard against theft, the system doesn't accept Oyster cards. You pay your two pound activation fee by card, and then you can access bicycles at points all across the city. There are literally hundreds of them to choose from. Walking. Not exactly a public transport option, but don't discount walking as a way to get around London. Many visitors don't realize that many parts of London are very pedestrian friendly, and in fact, in central London, you can get the most of the attractions just by walking. As a rule of thumb, if somewhere is less than two tube stops away, it's likely going to be quicker to walk, although we're checking on a map to be sure there's not an inconvenient river in the way. Walking is by far the cheapest way to travel around London and a personal favorite of ours. Where is the best way to get around London? There's no real easy answer to the question. If you're getting around the majority of central London, the underground will likely be the most convenient. It's fast, regular, it doesn't have to contend with traffic. For, for parts of London that aren't serviced by it, or the, bus, the, the bus is the next convenient option. Often run into the night. Um, definitely check out London and get to it. Uh, Amy Winehouse is from London, Chris Martin, Robbie Williams, Rita Ora, Eric Clapton, Boy George, Seal. <clears throat> from Ranker, Ranker Magazine. If you're a celebrity in London, you know, if you want to follow some of famous people I usually you know you like to follow some people who are from there Kira Knightley who is 33 Kira Knightley is an English actress she began acting as a child on television and made her film debut in 95 Rachel McAdams Rachel McAdams is a Canadian actress 
After graduating from a four-year theater program at York University, Kate Moss, who's 45, Kate Moss is an English model, Misha Barton, Elizabeth Taylor, Emily Blunt, Amelia Clark, Ryan Gosling, Jude Law, Nomi Campbell, Florence Rich, and Helen Mirren, Kelly Osborne, Catherine Bell, Claire Ferrani, Tom Hardy, 41, Kiefer Sullivan, Lily Allen, Sasha Cohen, and Helena Carter, Joan Cotlin, Tana Simone, Michael Caine, Elizabeth II, Stephen Fry, Haley Atwell, the British American actress, Christopher Lee, 96, singer, author, Jordan Dunn, who's 28, she's a British fashion model, Samantha Fox, 52, English dance, pop, singer, actress, Dudley Moore, Tom Hiddleston, Prince William, Jerry Springer, Rachel Stevens. Guys, thank you so much for listening to my guide on London for wrapping it up. Natasha Bedingfield, English singer and songwriter, Richard Branson, English businessman and investor. Saffron Burroughs, these people are all uh, born, born in London. Charles, Prince of Wales, Emma Gunton is an English pop singer. Rob Stewart, British rock singer, Greer Carson, Olivia Dabo, Alec Guinness, Anna Winter, Ben Elton, Tom Felton, Martin Feldman, Rachel Riley, uh, I'm about to wrap up my tale of London. I met, I knew one person in London. Her name is Rebecca Burgess. I haven't talked to her in a long time, and I just met her on Facebook. But um, the top ten tourist attractions in London are the Buckingham Palace and the Changing of the Guard, the Tower of London and Tower Bridge, the British Museum, Big Ben and Parliament, National Gallery, the Victoria and Albert Museum, Piccadilly Circus and Trafalgar Square, the Two Tates and Tate Modern. Westminster Abbey, Churchill's War Rooms, Hyde Park. Covering 350 acres, Hyde Park is London's largest open space. So the popular lake for boating. Hampton Court Palace. All right, guys, I'm going to wrap up my, uh, my journey through London for you guys. Thank you so much and share this podcast with a friend. Follow on social media at KingLit93 on Twitter. That's K-I-N-G-L-I-T-9-3 on Twitter. Check out the blog, davidatl.wordpress.com. That's D-A-V-I-D-A-T-L.wordpress.com. Leave a rating and share this with your friends. Thanks, guys. Stay tuned for tomorrow. Love you.